Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. This is why conservatives should never play the game of making Lincoln the good guy. I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show, of course, by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. But also, go to my website, brianmcclanahan.com. Click on that support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way. Or you can go to Spotify for podcasters. You can become a member there. Or you can click on that little super thanks button under the video. If you're watching on YouTube, those are all great ways to support the show financially. Also, you can click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff, or go to LearnTrue, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. It's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom, another great way to support the show financially. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so people know you like it. Share it around on social media. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Leave a comment on YouTube. Helps the algorithm and send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. All right, so let's talk about the topic that I opened the show with, and that's conservatives who make a habit of pronouncing Lincoln to be the great savior of America and the Confederacy to be attached to the left. This is a tactic that the Straussians and the neoconservatives use quite often. Well, I mean, these these people on the left are really... Calhounites. They're really neo-Confederates. Remember I, last week I talked about Victor Davis Hanson and how he did this, and he does this quite often, with uh, the idea that somehow the left in pursuing uh, whatever it is he thinks they're pursuing, segregation, that's all neo-Confederate. Right? He, he uses that term. These are all neo-Confederate because you see that's the boogeyman. That's the boogeyman. And if we can somehow portray the left as really the enemy of good unionist Lincolnian principles, then Americans will rally around the right. The problem with all of this, and this is why Anton and all the West Coast Straussians, you know, all these people, they can't get it in their head that when you start with Lincoln, you start with the left. You see, we have to abandon that position if we're going to get back to real conservatism. Now, How do I know this is the case? How do I know this doesn't work? Because the left understands what's going on here. And I'm going to go back to something that just happened in the last couple of weeks. Tim Scott, senator from South Carolina, has launched an exploratory committee to see if he could run for president of the United States. Now, Tim Scott is an African-American. And so uh, he has potentially that advantage by taking the race card off the table, right? So you can't say Tim Scott is a racist because, well, he's an African-American. And this is the same thing with Nikki Haley or any other 
candidate the Republicans might nominate that is a minority. So this is the reason why Republicans often do this, right? I mean, look, in Georgia, they ran Herschel Walker. And Herschel Walker was supposed to take the race card off the table. It didn't work because the left doesn't believe in that. The left doesn't care. You see, the left is going to attack these people in different ways. If they're a minority group running with the Republicans or conservatives, well, then they're going to call them all kind of pejoratives as a betrayal to their own race or their own people, whatever it is. These are ridiculous arguments because we're supposed to be in a post-racial society, but we know that because of the Obama administration, things were amped up in that regard, not alleviated by that. So since really 2009, we've actually gotten much more involved in a society that focuses on race over other things. And so this is, again, the Republican objective. Now, this goes all the way back to Harry Jaffa's insistence that somehow we make equality conservative because if we can make equality conservative, then all of these people on the left can't call us racists anymore. But you know what they're going to do it anyways? It doesn't matter what you think and how you argue that. Well, equality really is conservative. You all are not really, you're not the people that believe in these conservative principles. We are conservative. So basically, if you are if you believe in equality, then you believe in conservative America. Jaffa was calculating that this would help save the right because, well, we've always believed in these real conservative things. Now, of course, this is a bunch of garbage because the way that the founding generation even conceptualized the term equality. Now, let me, let me say this. One of the things we have to understand about that is that uh, Jefferson said, essentially, this is in a state of nature, right? People are equal in a state of nature. A state of nature. This is something that he mentioned in another quote. You have to put all these things together. So in a state of nature, people are equal, but Jefferson didn't think they were all equal in a state of civilization. That was something entirely different. So he did think that government, and I talk about this in my class, reading Thomas Jefferson at McClanahan Academy. He did think that once you entered society in a state of civilization, then those that did affect this position of equality. It could be affected by that. In nature, everyone is equal. You're in a state of nature. It's about survival. It's about you know, these things. You have natural rights. You've state of nature. But once you enter society, and there's a very famous quote that he gave to that effect, and I'm not going to focus on that the entire uh, podcast today, but that if a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and what never will be. Ignorant and free in a state of civilization it expects what never was and what never will be. So once you enter a state of civilization, your entire situation changes. You cannot be ignorant and free. You're not in a state of nature anymore. You can be ignorant in a state of nature and still be free. You don't have to have any knowledge. You don't have to have anything. Man is inherently free in a state of nature. At least this was the idea. And they didn't have to have any of these. But once you enter society, well, then that changes. And so this is Jefferson's position that you have these civilization and society matters. Okay, So this idea of equality is, is something else. But my point is that the left will always believe that conservatives are X, Y, and Z. They're always going to hurl pejoratives and hyperbole and everything else at, at, the, at the right because that's what they think works. And they're never going to uh, accept that because a minority candidate is running for the Republicans or you know or for a conservative party, whatever it is, that that's going to take that issue off the table. They'll never accept that. They can't, right? I mean, look at Walker and Warnock. It was never off the table. Even though Walker's 
uh, was African-American or is African-American. Raphael Warnock's African-American. It didn't matter because all they did was just blash Herschel Walker as being stupid. Uh, you know, whatever it is. He, he, he had no brain cells. I mean, they did the things that were pretty apparent when Walker was out trying to campaign that he was not of the same kind of, of quality, at least uh, in terms of rhetoric, as Raphael Warnock. Warnock was a much more polished public speaker. Now, Walker sounded like he was from rural Georgia, which is what he's from, right? So he's not stupid. Um, he just wasn't a very good candidate. And I think that's important to point out. Now, Tim Scott is much more polished. He, he is. He, he is rhetorically better at doing this than, say, Herschel Walker was. But there was a piece after Tim Scott announced his, uh, announced his candidacy in the New York Magazine, New Yorker Magazine, that clearly articulates what I've been saying about this for a very long time. And that is, it doesn't matter what conservatives say. It doesn't matter that they begin to champion Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King or take your pick of some leftists. And this is what the West Coast Straussians do. Because the left, the progressives, own those people. And what I mean by that is they own the legacy of Lincoln, the radical Republicans, the civil rights movement. That is theirs. And the right cannot take it. And so the right should stop trying to pretend that's theirs. And they should just say, look, our heroes are not that. Our heroes are people that believe in limited government, that believe in the original constitution, that believe in federalism, that believe in these things. As Calhoun said, I am a conservative, and because I am a conservative, I am a states' rights man. Not some Lincolnian. You're not going to win, because Lincoln himself was not a conservative. In fact, during the war, the Republicans said their opponents were the conservatives. You cannot win when you start from a leftist position to attack leftists. You are conceding the entire field. And this is exactly what the left knows. They know it. It seems like conservatives don't really know it. That's the sad thing. When we go out and we pledge allegiance and we start talking about nationalism, American centralization, all these things, there's a problem with that. I'm going to talk about tomorrow a piece where we need a savior from the top down. That's not how we win in America. That's not how we win as conservatives. If you are a conservative, you have to believe in federalism and quote-unquote states' rights. That's the only way to do it. It has to be from the bottom up. That was the entire position of conservatives throughout all of American history. From the bottom up. From the state level. Real federalism. That is conservatism. That is American conservatism. Now, maybe there's other forms of conservatism. We could argue that. There's European conservatism, there's monarchism. There's all these things that are different from, say, American conservatism. It's why when, uh, we, when Clyde Wilson and I published Forgotten Conservatives in American History, there was a particular type of conservatism that we were looking at. These were American conservatives, not necessarily European-style conservatives. They were American conservatives, even when we didn't talk about uh, necessarily uh, all Americans in that book, but there were American conservatisms. There, there's an American conservatism, I should say. And of course, in that book, you get a heavy dose of uh, people like John Tyler, John C. Calhoun, and many others. That's a great book, by the way. It's one that I don't often talk about, but that's a really good book. It's one of the books that I think more people should have gotten and picked up and read, Forgotten Conservatives in American History. It's really good. You can still get it. It's still in print. But um, you should pick that book up. All right, so let's talk about this piece. This is at the New Yorker magazine. 
and it's written by Ed Kilgore. And he says, it's not easy being a black Republican senator from the U.S. United States all-time career champion jurisdiction for white racism, South Carolina. You see, this is a leftist, it's progressive, writing at the New Yorker, which is a progressive magazine. They're not going to let any of this go away. Just because you're Tim Scott and you're from South Carolina doesn't mean you're going to get a pass. They're still going to use the pejorative of racism. You see, this actually creates a false dichotomy in America. The false dichotomy is that somehow South Carolina and the South had the monopoly on racism in America. When, when in reality, um, when you go back and look at the 19th century, there isn't really a place in the United States that's not racist. I mean, they all were, right? Jim Crow, I've talked about in this program. Jim Crow, Massachusetts. You look at the Republican Party. It's racist. Abraham Lincoln's racist, right? You, you can't find people in the 19th century that weren't. They may not have believed in slavery, and so you had people that were anti-slavery, but you had those in the South, too. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was universal. Across the United States, people had what we would consider today to be racist positions. So to create some kind of fault, to bash South Carolina for being the career champion jurisdiction, I could actually say, well, maybe that's actually Massachusetts. You can make the case it's Massachusetts. Well, but these people were against slavery. But did they really believe that blacks and whites were equal? No. And they might have taken steps to try to do things like, well, we had Jim Crow, and then we tried to take some steps to get rid of that or uh, do these things. But they weren't not racist. We had race riots in Boston, Massachusetts in the 1970s. See? So this is the soiling, soiling old glory. It's the image of the, of the black man getting hit with a U.S. flag during a race riot in Boston in the 1970s. So does South Carolina have the uh, career championship? I don't know. Do they? If you had taken the large percentage of African Americans that lived in South Carolina and put them in Massachusetts, if you had taken them all out of South Carolina at the war's end in 1865 and placed them in Massachusetts, which, by the way, Massachusetts would have rejected outright, and we know this, we know northern states would have done it because there were some, prop, there were some proposals to do this kind of thing, and they all rejected that. Well, let's move... Let's move these people out of the South and put them in the West. No way. It's not going to happen. So let's say they had done that. Would Massachusetts have been any less racist than South Carolina? I, I doubt it. Because the people of Massachusetts would have reacted uh, in a way that we would consider to be very racist. I mean, this would have happened. So nobody has a monopoly on racism in the United States in the 19th century. It was universal across the U.S., So then Kilgore says, but Tim Scott has the additional burden of running for president in a national Republican party where the belief that white Christians are now prime victims of systemic discrimination is virtually an article of faith. So um, this, this idea that he's saying this is false, that Christians aren't being attacked or discriminated against. Of course, I mean, that's just false. Nobody's doing that. Are you sure? I mean, are you sure about that? Because it doesn't seem like that. By undertaking the soft launch of announcing a presidential exploratory committee on Wednesday, Scott has signaled that he's serious about a 2024 run. His, ra his racial identity and up-from-poverty biography are unavoidably central to his ability to distinguish himself from all the other MAGA-tinged, loud-and-proud conservatives already in or considering the race. And in the proto-stump speech he has used in Iowa and elsewhere this year, Scott has made his personal story proof positive that the U.S. is now free of conservative white racism 
while accusing Joe Biden and the radical left of seeking to subjugate black people via bad government schools. Scott is a big-time private school voucher proponent, high crime, inflation, and so on, right? So Joe Biden, the radical left, to subjugate black people via bad government schools, high crime, inflation. So, right, he's blaming Democrats for the problems of the African-American community in the United States. That Democrats have been the real issue here. That all of the things that have come out of the 1960s Ford, which were promoted both, by the way, Republic, by both Republicans and Democrats. It's just that black Americans moved in large numbers to the Democratic Party beginning in the 1960s. In the video announcing his penultimate step toward presidential candidacy, Scott takes this inversion of the conventional wisdom on racism to a whole new level. This conventional wisdom on racism to a whole inversion of that to a whole new level. Now, this is important. I've mentioned on this show many times this argument from the 1776 Commission report and making all these leftists out to be conservatives is never going to work because the left knows it's a, it's a charade. It really is a charade. Martin Luther King was not a conservative at all. Abraham Lincoln wasn't really conservative. The left owns these people. When conservatives can finally figure this out, they'll stop doing this stuff. Now, the argument, we well, but we got to do something about this. We got to do something. So we're not racist. Well, then just act that way, right? I mean, just, just do and, and talk about federalism. Do the things you can do from the bottom up. Forget about the center. It's never going to work. And be proud of the people in America that we were always proud of, who are now, of course, under attack, but just continue to be proud of those people. Because that's what you do. You just, if they say George Washington's bad. No, no, he's not. I love George Washington. Thomas Jefferson's bad. No, not really. He's not. And then, of course, you know, for years, conservatives thought John C. Calhoun was great. John C. Calhoun, yeah, he's great. These are the things that are great about John C. Calhoun. Can we, can we disagree with Calhoun on his position on slavery? Sure. Can we disagree with uh, Thomas Jefferson and his views on race? Absolutely. We can disagree with those things. But that doesn't make us a leftist. It just says, well, we just don't agree with that now. We think that he was wrong on those things. But he wasn't wrong on federalism, on central authority, on government, and what that can do. These are the issues that conservatives, and again, protecting your local and your and your culture from something from the outside that's alien to that is very conservative. Protecting your family from those things is very conservative. The political culture of your area is very conservative. So Kilgore says, Scott is obviously correct that America's soul was put to the test by the insurrection that began in his own state in 1861 and that we prevailed after a bloody civil war by the insurrection. Notice that Kilgore uses that term, insurrection. Why would he use insurrection? Well, because of January 6th. You see, that was an insurrection, just like the Confederacy was an insurrection. This is important. Language matters in how these people portray these things. It wasn't an insurrection in 1861. You had a legally seceded state defending its own territory its own territorial integrity against what they considered to be a foreign power, the United States government, the United States military. Do we call the American War for Independence an insurrection when you had people in Massachusetts, for example, 
pushing the British out of Boston in 1775. In 1776, is that an insurrection? Defending their own territorial integrity? Or how about New York? Is that an insurrection? Well, no. That's not an insurrection. That's an independence movement. So what is it in on the South? It's an independence movement. They're the same thing. But you see, to these lefties, it doesn't matter. And you know what? Neoconservatives and West Coast Straussians will use this exact same language. This is why the West Coast Straussians need to be abandoned in droves. No one needs to pay attention to them anymore because they're using the language of the left. And when you use the language of the left, you lose. So Kilgore says, what he doesn't take the time to mention is that it took more than a century after Appomattox to vindicate the basic idea of liberty and justice for all, with South Carolina's white conservatives fighting it every inch of the way. Okay. It took more than a century after Appomattox to vindicate the basic idea of liberty and justice for all. Now, where's that line from? The Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> and where does, this, where does this come from? The Proposition Nation myth that Lincoln created in 1863. You see, he revolutionized the revolution. This is why you cannot begin with the Proposition Nation myth and the Pledge of Allegiance and think you're going to conserve anything. So Kilgore says, they were in both parties, though Scott's senatorial predecessor, Strom Thurmond, led the region-wide defe defection of segregationists from the Democratic to the Republican Party in 1964. Now, um, that's not exactly accurate. Strom, was already, Strom Thurmond was already looking towards the Democrats, or towards the Republicans, potentially before this. I mean, there are some other things going on here, but that's not entirely accurate. This is, this is in many ways, a myth that somehow there was this flip and defection and these kind of things. Yes, the South started voting more Republican because the Democratic Party moved far left. So Southern conservatives really had nowhere to go. They had to go somewhere. They weren't going to vote for the Democrats anymore because the Democrat Party moved left. But they went somewhere, so they went to the Republicans. Even though they're not necessarily comfortable within the Republican Party, the Republican Party has not changed. I will argue, and I've argued on this show, the Republican Party has not changed since it was founded in the 1850s. Particularly the mainstream position of the Republicans. It's always been the same. The two parties haven't flipped. The Democratic Party just moved far left. The Republican Party stayed what it was, which was a conservative leftist party. <laughs> That's all it is. So we have two leftist parties running, thing, running things in America. Instead, standing in front of the cannons on Fort Sumter, Scott says that the U.S. is facing a challenge as deadly as the Confederacy. Today, our country is once again being tested. Once again, our divisions run deep, and the threat to our future is real. Joe Biden and the radical left have chosen a culture of grievance over greatness. They are promoting victimhood over personal responsibility, and they are indoctrinating our children to believe we live in an evil country. I will never back down in defending the conservative values that make America exceptional. So, I mean, look, uh, th there is that going on. There is a demonization of the United States because we look at things in, in a moral code now. Instead of just saying, you know, these people had views that we don't have, that we don't hold anymore, but that they still said a lot of very important and wise things. No, no, no. We have to accept them as 21st century Americans, not 18th century Americans or 19th century Americans. We have to accept them as we are now. This is presentism. What he's basically missing here 
is that what's at stake now is presentism. We're viewing everything from present standards. We're viewing all of history from present standards, and that is dangerous. Now, the most important part of this piece, though, is the next paragraph. This is exactly what I've been saying on this show now since 2016 when I started it, 2015 and other places. But 2016 and even before that, right, 2009 as I started writing books and doing things. So for over a decade, 15 years almost, I've been saying these things. You cannot conserve Abraham Lincoln because Lincoln is not a conservative. And here's what Kilgore says next, which is exactly the point I've been making. The Confederacy, of course, was the most profoundly conservative political movement in U.S. history. Look at that. Look at what he just said there. This is why you can't call Lincoln. He's saying they're conservative and Lincoln was not. Because, you know what? That's true. The Republicans were not. You know what? That's true. Its spokesmen constantly evoked ancient and early modern precedents. So in other words, Southerners in the 1860s and the 1850s were talking about conserving Western civilization because, he says, from the slave-based democracy of Athens to the aristocratic cavaliers of the English Civil War and the enslaving founders of the Roman Republic. Now, he ties us all into slavery. But what, if you took out that other part, all that is true, right? Athens, English, the Anglo-American tradition, the founding generation, all of that is true. So in other words, what he's just, what he's just conceded here is that Lincoln and the Republicans of the 1860s were not conservatives. And why are these conservatives running around trying to make them that way? Because they weren't. They never were. This is 100% true. So, this is fascinating. That this New Yorker magazine is, Kilgore, is better on this issue than the Republican conservatives who are running around saying that Lincoln's conservative, the radical Republicans were conservative, all of that stuff. These people are all conservative. Martin Luther King's conservative. Elizabeth Cady Stanton's conservative. I mean, it's just a joke. It's a joke. It's an outright joke. This is what I wrote in Chronicles Magazine in January of 2021 that got Michael Anton all hot and bothered. It's a joke. Kilgore is saying what's true about this. But claiming the violent suppression of the Confederacy for conservatives isn't Scott's only 180-degree degree departure from reality. Claiming the violent suppression of the Confederacy for conservatives isn't Scott's only 180-degree departure from reality. So, the reality is that conservatives didn't defeat the Confederacy. The left defeated the Confederacy, which you know what is true. Conservatives were Northern Democrats. The left defeated the Confederacy. So any conservative that runs around and says that, ah, oh, man, the Confederacy is anti-American, it's treasonous. They're just speaking leftist terms at this point. Kilgore is 100% right. 
What died in 1865 was conservative America. This is what Southerners pointed out after the war. Conservative America died in 1865. Because what replaced it wasn't really conservative. It was the discarded leftist positions, as R.L. Dabney points out, from before. Conservatism died. This is a beautiful piece. He's 100% right about this. The piece continues. He says, when Biden and the radical left get called out for, on their failures, they weaponize race to divide us. So then Kilgore says this, following the Emancipation Proclamation, the Union and its Republican leaders quite literally weaponized race by enlisting countless people who had been previously enslaved. Well, I would say they did weaponize race in different ways. In fact, the Republicans weaponized race in the 1850s with free soil, free labor, free men. They weaponized it there. We don't want black people in our territories. See, he conveniently forgets this part. Race is weaponized by Republicans all the time. They weaponized it. And they weaponized it to get votes. Now, he doesn't put it that way because he won't. Because then, then you have to agree with Hiram Rhodes Rebels, the African-American senator from Mississippi, that race is being used simply as a... Blacks are being used as a pawn in this game for power in the Congress. That's what he pointed out. He wrote a letter to U.S. Grant saying that. We are facing a problem here because of that. The Civil Rights Amendments that Republicans imposed on the South during Reconstruction were among the most race-conscious policy instruments ever. The Republicans imposed on the South. So, again, leftist Republicans imposed on the South. Not, not that we're... See, actually admit something here. The 14th Amendment wasn't legally ratified. It was imposed. The 13th Amendment was accepted that ended slavery. Except, of course, if you're a prisoner. But the 13th Amendment was accepted. It was ratified. The 15th Amendment faced a little more opposition, not just from the South, but from the North, too. There were northern states that were against the 15th Amendment. But the 14th Amendment was never legally ratified. In fact, we had two states rescind their ordinance of ratification, which were northern states, which mean they didn't have, they didn't have enough to get it ratified. So... It wasn't really legally ratified. And then he says, as reflected in their application by the Supreme Court to validate the 20th century civil rights laws, especially the 14th Amendment. Again, it's important to note that a lot of leftists and even some quote-unquote conservatives are starting to call this the 1868 Constitution. We have two constitutions. We have the original Constitution. Then we have the 1868 Constitution, which is created essentially by the Supreme Court, which he admits. Because it's only through Supreme Court interpretation that we get the 14th Amendment working the way the left wants it to work. That's it. In the wake of the passage of those laws, of course, the GOP gradually and then decisively became the party of conservative hostility to the need for any further racial justice efforts, which Scott echoes in his self-depiction as a living testament to American righteousness. The GOP gradually and decisively, because see what happens is the GOP, what happens, the GOP stays the same, because they had a very limited view in reality of what these things were supposed to do. Even after the 14th Amendment was passed, we still had segregated schools in Washington D.C., for example. The Congress didn't see, desegregate the schools, so you still had this position of segregation. We went to here and no further. So the GOP has been in the same position it was essentially in the 1860s, 70s, and 80s. It hasn't moved. 
But the Democrats move further and further left. That's the point, you see. I know America's land of opportunity, not a land of oppression. I know it because I lived it. So this is what Tim Scott said. And he said, and Kilgore says, when you look at Tim Scott's overall platform, it's very much the standard brand conservative agenda of tax cuts, deregulation, school vouchers, quasi-military border control, strict abortion bans, overturning public and private sector anti-discrimination efforts, and systemic religion-based hostility to LGBTQ rights in any form. Scott's reputation as, as some sort of sunny bipartisan optimist is belied by his harsh culture wars message that Biden and Democrats are deliberately pursuing a blueprint for ruining America. He appears to be more of a Reaganite than an America firster when it comes to foreign policy, but in that and other respects, the only thing that separates him from fellow South Carolinian and announced 2024 candidate Nikki Haley is his personal story. And even there, Haley, as an Asian American, has her own version of it. So it's not surprising to see Scott double and triple down on the claim that his life proves the lie of, the, of American racism. It's his signature in what will be a long-shot candidacy, not only against Haley, but the likes of Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. He says, you don't have to doubt sincerity to observe that white conservatives love to be absolved of racism by black voices. I think that's, uh, that's something that you do see quite a lot of. But it also goes back to Harry Joffin saying equality is conservative. They want to be absolved of any stain of that by taking positions that are essentially leftist positions and trying to adopt them as their own. This is the real problem with the West Coast Straussians. It's one important reason why black men with far fewer credentials for the White House than Tim Scott, like Herman Cain, and Ben Carson had briefly viable presidential candidacies. So there's an avid audience for Scott's distortions of U.S. history in which racism died long ago in today's progressives, not the Republicans who are still defending Confederate monuments, are neo-Confederates. See, again, this is what Victor Davis Hanson's rise to do. Progressives are the neo-Confederates. Well, I mean, so Republicans who are still defending Confederate monuments, we should defend all monuments. Right? The monuments were there. They should be defended. And you can find... Va- Look, you, we don't have to get into the Confederate monument thing on this show, but um, Confederate monuments should remain. There's little question of that. It doesn't change anything. Unfortunately for Scott, the 2024 Republican field will be full of candidates eager to whitewash conservatism and gaslight the country. But you see, there is the issue. Here it is. When the right tries to say that the left is Confederate or the left is the Confederacy, this is Victor Davis Hanson 101, the left sees right through it. Because what they're saying is, well, basically you're saying that you are leftists. I mean, this is what, this is what they're arguing. They know it. So when the left, I'm sorry, when conservatives abandon their own people to try to adopt leftist messages, they're doing the entire movement a disservice. This is why we should stop doing that stuff and why the West Coast Straussians, again, should be ignored. Kilgore hammers it here, and he's a leftist. He's a progressive. But that's what's happening. All right. See you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.